All right. Welcome. I hope everybody's uh, staying dry and uh, out of the wind from the uh, tropical storm or the hurricane, whatever it is when it's passing through us. I guess it's not going to be a hurricane probably, but uh, just uh, be staying safe. All right. Whatever you're doing. Um, so for me, you don't have much to do. You have the, the review that you can take a look at. Now, uh, remember, we did the FRQ on Wednesday, so you don't have to do the, the FRQ review. There's there's different. It's just uh, I didn't take it out from when I posted this from uh, the last time I used this thing. So there's not going to be an FRQ on the test. It's just going to be a multiple choice test. There's about 30, 31 questions on there. I know your review has 19, but remember, we have a lot of those questions that are going to be stimulus-based where, hey, here's a quote, uh, here's three or four questions, whether it's something the College Board likes to do. So that is where we're at with this thing, um, and I'm going to give you this review today, and hopefully listen to it uh, tonight uh, or whenever you're listening to it, and then um, we'll take some time on Friday in class before you take it, if you want to, all right? You know, if you're a Zoom person, then uh, I'll be on just like always. And, you know, if you want to come in and review or have questions before you take the test, I'll be available to answer those. So this is kind of a weird situation. So just keep that in mind. Um, but we will still take the test on Friday. All right, well, let's jump into it. So first up there is the formal versus informal powers of the president. And remember, the formal powers are going to be those powers that are are listed in the Constitution, things that the president can do. So, you know, some of the formal powers, he's the commander in chief. So he's in charge of the military. He can make treaties with other countries. Those sorts of things are listed in the Constitution. You can go find those in Article 2. If you read through the whole thing and find where it says there's things in that document. Informal powers of the president are things that he's kind of taken on uh, over the years and that have just kind of morphed into to certain things. So like executive orders and executive agreements, those aren't really in the Constitution anywhere. They're derived from the Constitution, sure, but they're not stated. It doesn't state anywhere, anywhere in the Constitution that the president can write up an executive order. It doesn't state anywhere that he can write up an executive agreement. It's just something that the president, over time, has taken and kind of made into a, a power that they have and an ability that they have. And we're, I think we're going to talk about uh, executive orders and executive agreements later on down the road, so I'm not going to uh, spend any time describing what those are. But hopefully uh, you understand. So uh, what formal? I'm not going to list you know, every single formal and informal power that there is, so if you want to, to take a look at those, you know, it might be beneficial, but uh, as long as you can understand, I think the question on the test is one of those uh, chart questions where you have formal powers listed on one side, informal on the other, and you have to decide, well, is this, are these both the formal and informal power there? All right, Fed 70, so the thing you're working on uh, this week, it is due tomorrow, so be sure you're getting your discussions done. Uh, you need to respond to three of my six questions, and then uh, all in one post, and then you respond to two of your classmates. All right, so Fed 70, this was uh, from Hamilton. And it was really his argument for a single president. OK, uh, remember at the time there was some discussion about possibly having uh, a tribunal or uh, a duo or I'm, I'm not sure how that would how that would work. But having just multiple people be the president and, and Hamilton's going to argue that's not what we need. You know, we need a single executive because a single executive um, is going to be able to make quick decisions. The, the whole point of having this president is so that they can make decisions that they don't have to go and consult with other people. All right. Congress, if they make a decision, they got to have uh, meetings, committees, have the bill drawn up and all kinds of other stuff. Um, whereas the president can get the input from his advisors very quickly and then he can make a quick decision. So that's one of the big arguments in Fed 70. All right. The impeachment process. So the impeachment process, remember, is going to be 
where the House is going to say that the president has committed one or I guess two or three of the, the, the crimes that are listed. You've got treason, which is pretty well defined. Treason is something our founding fathers were pretty serious about because guess what they had just done? They just committed treason when they broke away from England. So they were were pretty pretty hung up on getting it. Let's define exactly what it is that's true. You had to have like two witnesses and, and some other things. So uh, they made a big deal about it. Bribery is the other. So taking money illegally uh, for, for things. Uh, and then the final one is high crimes and misdemeanors. And the question is always, well, what are high crimes and misdemeanors? Whatever. It could be whatever. Uh, oh, you... Um, Threw out a, a cup onto the street and littered. High crime and misdemeanor. We're impeaching you. Okay. Uh, we've had three presidents impeached and one that would have been uh, that resigned before he could be. Andrew Johnson was for political reasons. Bill Clinton was for political reasons. Donald Trump was for political reasons. Uh, in my opinion, none of the things those three people did um, were actually impeachable. Okay. We could talk about it in class if you want to. Uh, we will talk about it later on down the road, but uh, yeah, that's just my opinion. Uh, the one person that would have been impeached, that deserved to be impeached, would have been Richard Nixon, but like I said, he resigned. So the process, the House draws up the charges. It goes through a committee. Uh, they draw it up. That's where they had the investigation. That's what they did with Donald Trump back in the early part of this year. Uh, they had investigations, so they called people in as witnesses, took on uh, testimony and all those sorts of things, and then they made a decision, yes, uh, this is an impeachable offense. And this all centered around uh, a phone call that he made to the Ukraine. Okay. And they were claiming that he was using that position to try and investigate Joe Biden. So that was uh, that. So the, the House, the, the House committee draws it up. They have a vote. They have the investigation. They have a vote. They voted yes for the official charges. Then it goes to the full House for a vote. And the full House said, yes, let's impeach him. And it just takes a simple majority over there on the House. All right. So just so there's 435. I think that's 218. Okay, so to get 218 votes uh, to impeach, the president is impeached. So that's just the charges. Now, the charges then go to the Senate, and the Senate are the ones that have the actual trial. So uh, that's where you're going to have witnesses, testimony, evidence, all that kind of stuff presented. And it takes a two-thirds vote to kick someone out. We've never had a president kicked out of office uh, based on the impeachment. Okay, we had Nixon resign, but once again, you know, he was not impeached because he quit before he could be. Uh, number four, ways the president can limit the power of Congress. He doesn't have many options, right? He does not have many options. Um, the president is you know, able to veto things, so the president can uh, veto laws, and I think we know what a veto is, so I'm not going to spend a great deal of time there. You know, the other option the president has is, is trying to get uh, support from the people. He has uh, an advantage where he has the bully pulpit, okay, where you know he can go and he can talk directly to the American people. Uh, he called a press conference and he can talk directly to me and you. The House, the Senate, we've made them important. And they're, they are, I mean, they are, they make laws for us, obviously, but there's 535 of them. If one of them calls a press conference, yeah, there's a good chance we probably won't tune in. Just because it's, it's, it's just one of, it's localized. You know, the House, especially, is based around the districts. So if the, you know, House member from Georgia from the first district, I don't know where that is, calls a press conference. I'm probably not going to be tuning in. It's not must-see TV for me. The president does, though, you know, and depending on what's going on, maybe I'm going to tune in. So it's just it's, it's one versus uh, a bunch there. Uh, 
Uh, let's see. Describe the president's cabinet. Remember, these are the advisors to the president. They head up uh, the departments that oversee a broad area or sector of the country, economy, whatever you want to call it. All right. So like the secretary of state uh, oversees the foreign relations and things like that. Department of Agriculture is obviously going to be the agricultural department. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory there. Uh, but they are going to give advice to the president. Uh, you know, some of them are more important than others. <clears throat> some of them will see the president every day. Homeland Security, Department of Defense. They uh, brief the president almost every morning, probably, about the stuff that's going on uh, with foreign countries and things like that. Um, you know, department of Housing and Urban Development is probably not meeting with the president all that often. State of the Union effects. So the State of the Union is a part of the Constitution. The president has to do it. And uh, it is the president, you know, once again, like we said, talking to the, the American people. He gets to go on TV and he gets to talk directly to the American people during the State of the Union. And he's going to lay out his plans for the next year. Typically, the State of the Union is where the president is going to lay out his agenda. You know, this is what I want to get done uh, during this this year that's coming up. And, uh, you know, sometimes the, the State of the Unions are, are very well done. Other times they fall flat, flat on their face. Uh, it really depends on the political climate oftentimes. Uh, a lot of, uh, from what I read, a lot of people, um, you said the Trump speech was pretty good this past go around. Uh, but, you know, nothing much has happened because it's such a divisive country we live in right now. So anyways, uh, eight, signing statements, vetoes and veto override. So signing statements, remember, these are things the president does to a law that he signs. And it's his interpretation of how the law is going to be enforced. So Congress sends him a bill. He looks it over, says, you know what, I like this. And he signs it. And then he writes up, this is how I want to see it enforced. So he gets to interpret it a little bit. Uh, and then it goes to the bureaucratic agency, whoever it might be that's going to enforce this stuff. And uh, they 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 use some of their stuff. Remember, we talked about how they have to, they get laws and they interpret them. Well, they can use the signing statement as to, to guide their, their guidelines. So that's something the president can do. He doesn't always do it, but he can do it. Vetoes, I think we're pretty familiar with it. The president doesn't like something. Um, he will veto stuff. It doesn't happen as often as we think it probably should or could or whatever it might be. Uh, but he does do that. It just takes a simple veto. Uh, just, I don't like this. And, you know, one of your standards is the pocket veto. Uh, I don't think there's a question on this test about pocket vetoes, but remember, there's a time frame. Uh, if Congress gives them something with less than 10 days left in their session, then he can just let it sit and it, and it will die because everything has to be done before Congress leaves uh, their, their session. And then finally, the veto overrides. Uh, it's a big number. It takes two-thirds of both houses, so the House and the Senate, so 535, whatever two-thirds of that is. Uh, it's a pretty large number, and you know, it seems like, oh, this should be easy to get, but uh, it's not always that easy. And that's a lot of people to get to support you uh, for a veto override, so um, it doesn't happen as often as one would think. Um, it does... It depends on the president, really, you know, the, the popularity. If the, pop, if the president's popular, then Congress is not going to override too many vetoes because the American people are happy with the president. And the American people are the ones that you know, vote in the congressman. So they're not going to look to upset the voters. If the president's unpopular, they're more likely to override vetoes. Number nine, different appointments by the president. So he appoints a bunch of people. Uh, we talked about the cabinet positions. Uh, you know, he appoints all federal judges. So district courts, uh, we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, it'll be in the next 
part of the, the unit that we're going to do. Uh, but he, he uh, appoints all the district court judges, all the appellate court judges, and all the uh, Supreme Court justices when there's an opening. You know, they, all these positions are for life. Uh, he also appoints ambassadors uh, to uh, the different countries. Uh, there's some of the bureaucratic agencies that he will appoint department heads to uh, and things like that. So there are quite a few uh, uh, different appointments that the president gets to make. And remember, most of them go through the Senate for approval. All right, number 10, constituency uh, versus the president. And I think this is a poorly worded question because I think it's supposed to be uh, constituency president versus congressman. And the big difference here and why the president and the Congress butts head a lot of time, butts heads a lot of times is because they do have different constituencies. The president is the whole country. The president has to try and keep the entire country, all 50 states, all 330 million people happy. Congress only has to keep their state if they're a senator or their district if they're a House member happy. So the different constituencies, national thing versus state and localized constituencies make a huge difference in what the president is trying to get done versus what congressmen are trying to get done. And so this is why there are sometimes problems. <clears throat> the Hatch Act, <clears throat> excuse me. So the Hatch Act was created for the bureaucracy and it was created because remember we have people in the bureaucracy that are life, that's their career. You know, they, they're going to work in the bureaucracy. They got the job back when they were 22 right out of college and they've been working there since, and they're going to retire there. And they've seen uh, a two Republican presidents come, then a Democrat, then another Republican, then a Democrat, and now they're on their fourth or fifth Republican or whatever it might be, and they're a Democrat, okay? They've been there for a long time. What we're going for with the Hatch Act is we want to keep these bureaucrats from using their position to affect politics. So we don't want someone, you know, uh, a Democrat, uh, to use their position to try and hurt a Republican president or vice versa, a Republican bureaucrat to try and hurt a Democratic uh, president. And when I say hurt, I don't mean like attack. I mean politically somehow. All right. So they're not supposed to use their position to take part in politics is what the Hatch Act is. And remember, we talked about uh, the FBI director. He'd come out in July of 2016 and said, hey, we're we're done with Hillary Clinton. We're exonerating her. Nothing's going on. Uh, with an email scandal that she had going on. And then a week before the election, uh, they came back out, the FBI director, and said, hey, we're going to open that investigation back up. And so he was questioned. He did he Was he trying to use his position to influence the election? All right, 13, the bureaucracy job once a law has been passed. So remember, they get to interpret the laws, and then they have to enforce them. So once a law is passed, so Congress passes something, the president signs it, it then goes to the bureaucratic agency that's going to be responsible for enforcing it. And it's, it's uh, who knows, you know, just whatever law it is. Uh, Pollution is obviously going to go to the EPA. The communication, you know, technological communication thing is going to go to the FCC. Some kind of stock thing is going to go to the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. So they get the law and they get to read through it and they get to write up their rules and regulations about how they're going to enforce it. So they have that interpretation piece. And remember, that was that quasi-legislative power that they have where they get to um, uh, write up their rules and regulations based on the law. All right, the Iron Triangle, we cover this a lot back with the interest groups. Remember the Iron Triangle, and I think there's a picture on the, on the test. Remember, Iron Triangle is just the interest group, the committee, uh, 
and the bureaucratic agency that's going to have this relationship where they're watchdogs, they're giving money to each other, they're you know, fun, uh, funding the, the agency, uh, enforcing the laws and all those sorts of things. Uh, street level bureaucrats is something we didn't really cover. I, I didn't do the full um, the full uh, PowerPoint on the bureaucracy just because I covered the, the standards that we're supposed to cover for the uh, college board because we're kind of in a condensed situation here. Uh, but street level bureaucrats is pretty simple, so I feel comfortable leaving it on the test. Uh, street level bureaucrats, those are the people that you're going to deal with. Okay. Uh, am I ever going to deal with the, you know, I told you about my dad's estate and, and having to pay the IRS big money and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm never going to have to deal with the, the person who's in charge of the IRS. They're never going to come to my house, but maybe an IRS agent, some local guy, you know, uh, I had to talk to someone with the Florida department of, um, what's the what, department of the treasury, Florida. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, because I had to pay Florida taxes too for, for them. So I talked to some some bureaucrat from there. Was it the head of the Florida IRS people, whatever they're called? No. Okay. So street level bureaucrats are the people you're going to deal with. FBI comes and does an investigation. The street agents, those that's street level bureaucrats. The bully pulpit we've already kind of talked about. That's just that imaginary uh, place that the president can go to talk to the American people directly. It's a power that he has that uh, Congress and other groups do not have. Uh, roles of the president and powers associated with it. I'm not going to go through every single one in this PowerPoint. I mean, this uh, PowerPoint had been on my brain um, in this podcast. So uh, just because I'm already going longer than I wanted to, I think, uh, looking at the time. Um, just remember, okay, you've got uh, chief executive, chief legislator, chief of the party, commander in chief, chief economist, head um, head of state, chief citizen, sometimes you might see it as, and then the chief diplomat, okay? Those are the seven roles the president plays. Um, and, you know, within those, he has different things that he does, all right? The executive agreements come from the chief diplomat. Uh, the, the appointed ambassadors and, and cabinet positions comes in the chief executive. The enforcement of laws comes in the chief executive. The commander in chief is the military. Uh, so go back and look at some of your roles of the president assignment that you did. Uh, and you listed a bunch of those and you found some some things that the president, whether it was Trump and his tweets or whether you looked at store, other historical presidents, uh, some stuff that they did. All right. And if you have questions about it, please just you contact me. Uh, all right. How can Congress limit the power of an agency? Remember, there's two things. First off, it's the, the m money. That's the big thing. They control the budget. So that is going to be the biggest number one thing that they can do is to control the budget. That's huge. Uh, and then the other thing, remember, is oversight. So if an agency is doing something that uh, the Congress does not like, they call them in and they question them. And based on the answers, you know, a couple things can happen. You know, maybe possibly that bureaucrat gets in trouble. More than likely, though, in an oversight situation, if the answers are not to the committee's likings, then they're probably going to somehow force that bureau, that bureaucracy, that agency, excuse me, not the bureaucracy, but that agency to rewrite their rules and regulations. So those are the big ways. Uh, and we talked about some other, some, I don't want to say far-fetched things, but things that probably won't happen, like dissolving a, an agency, probably not going to happen. So things like that. All right. Uh, last couple, uh, or actually 
Last one. Uh, independent regulatory agencies, cabinet positions, government corporations, and independent executive agencies. So uh, on the test, I think you got a name. I think there's one question, uh, if I remember correctly, that lists a couple of agencies, and you have to list what they are. So just go through and, and remember. Uh, the people have people have most of the trouble with the independent regulatory agencies versus an independent executive agency. And remember, the key difference is in the name. An independent regulatory agency has some regulatory powers. They can go into a sector of the economy or whatever it might be, and they can regulate, they can punish, and all those sorts of things. Right? Um, and you know, one of the examples was the Federal Reserve. Another example was the FDA, Food and Drug Administration. Uh, they can go in, probably the ATF would be one. All right? uh, they can go in, and if you're doing something wrong, they can punish you through fines or, or whatever whatever it is that they have done, have written up uh, as a way to punish you. All right. And then independent executive agencies, remember, they don't have that regulatory piece. And the example we use in the, on the PowerPoint was NASA. You know, they, they can't regulate space travel like they probably like to. All right. They're just they're there. They do their own thing. They're independent of the president, but they don't have that regulatory power. OK, and that's one of the other key things about the independent part for both those things is they are independent of the president and for the most part, Congress. Uh, they get to do their own thing. They can't be fired. Uh, the president can't. You know, he can obviously work with them and give them directives and things like that. But at the end of the day, they get to do their own thing. And then uh, the cabinet positions, those are just the, the 15 positions we've talked about. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but Secretary of State, Treasury, all those things um, that are advisors pretty much uh, to the president. But, you know, they run their departments, and they assist with the uh, enforcement of whatever law falls under their umbrella and all the different agencies that fall under their umbrellas. All right. And then finally, the easiest one was the government corporations. That's the one where the government is trying to make money. Uh, you know, I, I shouldn't say the government's trying to make money. Uh, they start off as just, hey, we can do this instead of, you know, having a lot of competition out there for uh, things we can go ahead and provide this service and we'll just make it a corporation where they can make money, they can fund themselves and things like that. So that's the idea. Uh, it doesn't always work that way though. All right. An example was the postal service. All right, guys. So that is the review. If you have questions or concerns, once again, you know, text me uh, during the day. I'll be available throughout the day to uh, answer questions that you might have. I uh, also will take, we'll take time on Friday if you want to talk about anything. Before the test, uh, like I said, I'll be available on Zoom, and uh, we will get you taken care of. All righty, guys. A um, couple reminders. Don't forget to get your makeup work done if you have any. I know that uh, uh, some people out there have some stuff to get done, so be sure you get it taken care of. Um, at this point, let me know that you've done it so I can be sure to go in there and grade it. Um, and then your Fed 70 and your blog. Be sure you're getting all those things done. All right, guys. Uh, once again, I hope you're staying safe, staying dry. And uh, not getting blown all over the place, stay out of the winds. We have 50 mile per hour gusts. Those are pretty fierce. All right, guys, I'll see y'all on Friday. Take care.